We've been studying the end times. And we're going to look at something today that very few pastors even address. But it's part of the whole counsel of God. And God's Word tells us that all Scripture is, is to be taught. All Scripture is, is for us to be built up. And, and it speaks to our lives and challenges us. I want you to turn to Zechariah with me today. And we're going to look at a subject that's not fun to look at, but at the end, I think that we'll be excited about it anyway. I want to talk to you today about the day of the Lord, the final cataclysm. Most of us have heard that there's going to be an ultimate cataclysm in this world. It's going to be a tremendous upheaval in the world. And I want us to see what God's Word says about that. So I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. We're also going to be looking at uh, verses in Revelation today. Also, um, probably Matthew chapter 25 if we have time. Now as we begin this passage of Scripture, it's a prophetic passage of Scripture. It's a passage of Scripture that sometimes we're, it doesn't seem to be all that clear to us. And with most Bible prophecy, it is not fully understood until after it takes place. And then looking back at, what, at the event that's taken place, and then we see the Scriptures, then we see how everything fits together. Even the resurrection, Jesus taught the disciples, that He was going to rise again on the third day. Amen? What happened after His death? They were hiding. They were scared. They didn't understand the fulfillment of that until after they encountered Him. And that's the way prophecy is a lot. But there is uh, literal things that are going to take place. There are things that we can see. There are things that should be encouraging to us. There's things that should stir our hearts. So as we look at this today, I want you to notice the language of Zechariah here is apocalyptic. Some of it's symbolic and it's prophetic. And when we read these passages like this, sometimes it can be difficult to understand, trying to figure out what's literal and what's symbolic. But the Lord will enable us today to to receive out of this passage of Scripture. Now Zechariah taught this 500, he wrote this 500 years before Christ. And this chapter, in, in, it begins with an invasion of Jerusalem. So I want us to begin with Zechariah 14. We're going to read through about verse 16, which is the majority of the chapter. Listen, I want you to follow along with me if you have your Bibles. Look at verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Now there's a couple of things I want us to see there. First of all, it says that all the nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. That's hard for us to imagine. Because our nation in particular, and there are some others, that still support Israel. But we see anti-Semitism that is continuing to escalate in our world today. And so it's not hard for us to picture that a day will come when we will see all nations trying to dictate to Israel what they should do, how they should act, and that these nations, when Israel doesn't 
fall into line with them, so to speak, comes against them. The second thing I want us to see, which is powerful, notice this in verse 2. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Now, God is saying there that He is sovereign, that He is still in control. I want you to understand that today. That's a precious promise. Now, God isn't saying that He's being vindictive. What has taken place here is what has always taken place. When God's people turn away from God, when we rebel against God, God's hand of protection and mercy and grace upon us, He begins to lift that and say, well, if if that's what you want, I'm going to show you what it's going to bring. Are you with me? And so God is telling us there that He's still in control. Amen? Even though evil is escalating in our world, even though there's riots in our own nation, even though there's chaos and crazy things happening, I want you to be settled in your heart today, church. Our God is on the throne. He is the one that's in control. Amen? So we don't have to fear the end times. We just need to prepare and and listen to the Word of the Lord. Now he goes on and says, The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. So he's talking about things that are going to take place when Jerusalem is being overrun. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from their city. Now look at verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of the battle. I want you to notice something. Just when it appears that all hope is gone, Israel is being overrun, God steps in as a mighty warrior and He wins the battle. Amen? So many times we think about God just being the Prince of Peace, and He is. But there are times that God manifests Himself as a warrior. And church, I want you to know, God fights for you. God is a warrior over you. And we see that illustrated here as He steps into this situation. He's going forth and He's fighting those nations. Verse 4 says, And in that day His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east, and and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. From east to west, making a very large valley, half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half uh, half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through My mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. That happened about... 200 years prior to this, there was a great earthquake and they flee. They had to flee. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Notice that this is the time when, church, the Lord's coming and all the saints with Him. Amen? I love that. So just when it appears that all hope is gone, the Lord Himself appears as that divine warrior. Church, so many times the culture that we live in looks at Christianity and thinks Christianity is for people who need a crutch. They just can't make it through life without a crutch of some kind. And that's true. None of us can make it through this life without Jesus. 
But they look at Christians and especially they'll see some churches where most, most of the church members are men, or not men, but women and children. And they think, well, all that church stuff, that Christianity, it's just for, it's just for women and kids. Nothing could be further from the truth. God calls us to stand in His power to be men that lead. Amen? And Jesus here, we see Him coming. The Lord's coming. And He's coming as a warrior. Amen? There's times, there's times that, yes, we are peacemakers, but we see the time of the Lord here. He's coming, and He's dealing with the enemy on behalf of His children. Amen? I just want to, I'm going to, I want to thank you men that we have so many men in our congregation. Men that, that aren't lukewarm, but men that are passionate for God. Men that want to lead, lead those that they have influence over and around them. They want to lead them towards Jesus. Amen? All the men said? Amen. Oh, you can do better than that, men? Amen. That's good. Because I want you to know, I'm a real man. And I know we're living in times when our culture wants to take every bit of masculinity away from our men. But church, the Bible I read doesn't do that. The Bible I read calls men to their place in God. To be mighty. To be protectors of their family. To be agents of the kingdom of God and to stand. And when we've done all to stand in the midst of battle, we continue to stand by the power of His might. Amen. Now, we also see this picture in Revelation chapter 19. And I'm going to flip over there and I'm just going to read through it right quick. In chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 11 through 16, John says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in white and fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepresses of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen and amen. Now back to Zechariah verse 14 or chapter 14 verse 6. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light, the lights will diminish, it shall be one day which is known to the Lord neither day nor night, but in evening time it shall happen that it will be light. There's two things I want us to see here. It sounds very familiar. It sounds much like what we read in the New Testament. 
No one knows the day or the hour this is going to take place. But it is also talking about something uh, in the atmosphere that is polluting the atmosphere so that we cannot recognize what time of day it is. We can't make it out. We don't know if it's day or night. So that something has taken place, and we'll, we'll look at that some more in a minute. But there's been a topographical and a cosmic cataclysm that has changed the earth at this time. So it's very unique time. Now look at verse 8. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Now what I want us to stop right there. Now this, this kind of seems strange. Okay, we're seeing described by Zechariah this, this destruction of the whole world. The whole world's shaking. It's impacting the whole world. And all of a sudden it's talking about wonderful things like living water flowing. And what I want us to understand is when, when the prophets received the prophetic images and they would write them down, they would see, they would, they would see this and they would see that. And I want to illustrate it with our, our mountains here. As, as a prophet, you would see all of these images taking place. You'd, you'd, you'd write down, I see this, and this is what's happening, and, and I see this, and this is what's happening, and I see this, and I see this, and I see this. And so when they're writing prophetically, they're not writing necessarily the way things will take place chronologically. But they're reporting what they're seeing. And we see evidence of that here in Zechariah. Because now he's looking into the future after this cataclysmic event and he sees what Jesus' rule and reign is going to bring in the earth. So it says, In that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And the Lord shall be King over all the earth. Hallelujah! <laughs> and what I want you to see is in the midst of this prophecy about this last world-changing event, it's ushering in the rule of Jesus Christ, our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Amen! That's the feel-good part. <laughs> So it's bringing in, it's ushering in the millennial reign of Christ. Now look at verse, um, then it goes on. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one and His name one. Church, we cannot compromise when it comes to the fact that there is only one way to be, to, to be right with God and to, to enter into His kingdom. Right? Scripture says in John chapter 3, we must be born again. It's being spiritually birthed. It's coming to Christ and acknowledging Him as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King, as our God. Amen? So church, we cannot compromise. Now we're not condemning other people that are caught up in religion. But religion isn't a relationship with God. And we must, and this verse is pointing that out, there's only one God. There's only one God. I'm not going to compromise that. They may come in and arrest me someday for that. Because you know I am not politically correct, but I strive to be biblically correct. Amen? 
There's only one Lord. There's only one Lord. I love that. In that day, verse 10, all the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate. And from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses, the people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. See what God's ushering in? His peace, His rule. What God intended for us from the beginning. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, verse 12 goes back and relates to verse 3. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. This is not the feel-good part. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize his seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Verse 14, Judah also will fight at Jerusalem and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague in the ho- on the horse and the mule and on the camel and the donkey and on all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. There's various interpretations of this, but this is part of the battle. In church, it's, it's not exciting. We don't, we don't wish this on anyone, but this is going to happen to those that are left here on earth that are going to experience this because they have rejected God. One of the, the points I wanted to make is that you need to understand also that in the prophetic word, The technology of that day was much different, obviously, than the technology we have today. So when it's talking about a plague coming against the horses and the mule, the donkey, those were the animals that were in the battle camp. Those were the animals that were there to to fight the battle. Now if you would bring that up today into our technology, it would probably be more like the tanks and the missiles and the the weapons that we have. But God is going to win this battle. Amen? He's going to stop the enemy from overthrowing His people. Verse 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we see in the millennial reign, What God intended for for Him to be there among His people, to fellowship with them, for the peace of God to rule, for righteousness and justice, it's going to take place under the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. But church, right now, you and I can welcome that kingdom rule of Jesus Christ into our hearts, into our lives, and through our lives. And that is our call. Amen? 
We say, Lord, have your way in me. Cleanse me. Let me live for you. And let the, the presence of Jesus, the kingdom of God, flow through my life and minister to others and challenge them and touch their lives for the kingdom. Now I want us to, to jump to Matthew chapter 25. A while back, we went through Matthew 24, and I want us just to notice two things in Matthew chapter 25. You're familiar with the chapter, the, the two things that I want us to, to make note of here. There are two parables. The one parable we're familiar with, the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. And what I want us to take away from that is how we are to live leading up to these times. Now I want you to know that we're not going to experience the wrath of God. We've talked about that before. Amen? Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we're not going to experience the wrath of God. The world's going to experience these things. And I talked a few weeks ago about we don't know how bad things are going to get before the rapture. Before we're caught away to be with Jesus. So there's, there's things that we need to have in mind and, and how we're going to live our lives and how we're going to minister to people. And in, in, in Matthew 25, there's one thing that I want us to see. Notice in verse 9 it says, But the wise answered, saying, This is after the foolish have asked them for oil for their lamps. And they say, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Jesus is not teaching selfishness here, but He's making a spiritual point. The oil represents the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the message there, church, is how do we live in these last days with all the chaos, with all the craziness? We live with hearts that are wide open to God and welcoming the Spirit of the living God to flow into our lives and to flow through us and minister to others. That's the call of God. We're not going to be prepared unless our hearts are open to Him and say, Lord, let there be a fresh filling of Your Spirit in my life every day, Lord. Let there be a constant flow of the Spirit of God into my life that no matter what I face, I I am ready. Amen? In, in Matthew 24, Jesus several times talks about the great deception that's coming. And I see such blindness today spiritually. There, it doesn't make sense. Some of the things in our nation right now even politically, as Christians, we see through the darkness and we perceive what's taking place. We understand those things aren't right. But there's so many people that are deceived and they're blinded to what those things really have behind them. Where they will take our, our nation. And I'm not trying to, to be political this morning, but I'm trying to tell you, Jesus said there's going to be great deception in the last days. And, and in Matthew 25 here, in this parable of the virgins, He's telling us how we can be ready for the deception in these last days. Amen? We need to be praying for our kids. We need to be encouraging them. We need to be teaching them by example and speaking into their lives. We need to prepare them so that they do not become blinded and deceived in these last days. 
I'm ready. I told you a couple of weeks ago, Jesus, I'm ready for the rapture right now. Get me out of here. You know, I'm ready anytime the Lord wants to come. But He's told us to occupy. He's told us to wait and to be ready. And so we don't know how long He's going to tarry before the rapture. So we, we need to prepare the next generation. If God tarries and you and I go to meet Him through the grave, then we need to make sure our children are brought up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We need to make sure they're grounded in the truth, that they're strong, and that they're ready for the deception that's in this world today. So many of our kids leave high school. They leave the church. They leave, they leave the youth group. And what happens? They go to secular schools that fill them with all of this anti-God, anti-religion, and begin to change their way of thinking, and they deceive them. And our kids, when they come back from these institutions, many times don't believe in the Lord any longer. They, they, they forget about the Lord. They think, oh, there's nothing to that. And church, one of the, the things that God laid on my heart is our children's church, our nursery. I thank God for Becca and our nursery and her leadership. I thank God for the other ladies that help her with the toddlers, uh, Rita and, and uh, Sharon. I thank God for Melinda. And, but church, we need other volunteers. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make this an infomercial. But I'm telling you, our kids are going to grow up in this deception of the world. We need to make sure they're strong and grounded in God's Word and in a relationship with Him. Because when they get out in the world, that deception is going to try to tear their lives apart and deceive them. And Jesus warned us of that. So church, you need... The Bible tells us not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek church, it's written, continually be filled with the Spirit. It's not a one-time thing where when we come to Jesus and we open up our heart and the Lord comes into our lives. But it's, it's more than that. It's a constant desire for more and more and more of Jesus. Amen? We're not here to play church. We're here to be on the Lord's team, to fight the battle with Him, to take the love and the life of Jesus everywhere we can, and to shine bright for Him. We cannot do that in these last days unless we're welcoming the power of the Holy Spirit of God to fill us afresh. And I don't want to belabor that, but it's such a, a powerful weight on my heart. Because I have children, thank God, that are all living for the Lord. They're all involved in ministry. There's no doubt in my life that they love the Lord and that I'll see them one day in heaven. But I've got grandchildren now that are growing. I've got five grandchildren and one more on the way. Everybody can say hallelujah to that. <laughs> but there will be a day if the Lord tarries that Big Paul won't be around. And I want to make sure that my grandchildren are prepared in these days of deception. That they'll see through every deception, every trick, every trap of the enemy. And they will live victoriously for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
What manner of people should we be? What manner of attitude should we have? What attitude should we have towards the Jewish people and the nation of Israel? These are all important questions that all of us face. And what these parables share with us is that we need to be open and we need also the, the parable of the talents is the next parable. And I'm not going to, for time's sake, I'm not going to spend a lot on that. But verse 21 is what I want to hear. It says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. How many want to hear those words someday? Amen. That's what God wants for us. So it's talking about talents that God has given. So the talents that God has given you, use them for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what it is. God's given each and every one of His talents. Dedicate those talents for Him. Use those talents for the Lord. Through my life, there's things that I thought I would never use for the Lord that I ended up using for Him. One of them was I, I loved basketball as a kid. I played in elementary school, junior high, high school, and college. And all of my teams were winning teams. And, and, and I, you know, I spent so much time back there involved in basketball, and I thought, how will this help you know, the kingdom of God? Well, the, God opened doors, and there were times that I, that I coached high school teams. There were times that I coached junior high teams. There's times that I, I put on events in, in the, our community for the kids to come and to learn their skills. And in all those things, I was influencing them. I was standing up for Christ. I was being the light. In fact, I remember one, one time in the middle of a game, it was halftime. And I was saying, we're doing good, guys. We're up. We were the underdogs in this game. We were playing the state champions. Everybody knew they were going to win the championship again. But we were winning. And I was sitting there trying to encourage the team. And I said, come on, you're doing great. I can't, this is great. We're, I looked at him. I said, we are going to win this second half. And we are going to beat the state champions. And I mean, we were a team that should, should have not even been on the court with them. And, and at the end of it, I said, I looked at all the guys and I go, can I get an amen? And the guys kind of looked at me like, an amen? And I said, yeah, that's, that's just my pastor coming forth. And I'm, I'm saying, do you agree with me? Are you going to... Are you going to believe that we're going to do that? So every, every, every time I would have an opportunity, some way I would slip in my relationship with God. And church, you have talent, you have giftings, and God wants to use those for His glory in these days that we live. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to look at Revelation chapter 6. And I want to look at verse 12 and 13 and 14 there quickly. And I'm trying to finish this up. Verse 12 in, in Revelation chapter 6 says, this is the same, same picture of what Zechariah has prophesied. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. 
And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Notice it says there, the stars of heaven fell. It's interesting that we live in a time when NASA has the technology to track asteroids or meteorites. And they've, they, in the last several years, they've, they've made, uh, given press releases that have said there's, there's been a, a large meteorite that has come past our planet and it's been relatively close. And NASA actually is saying that it is inevitable that one day one of these large uh, asteroids or meteorites are going to hit the earth. And Scripture seems to be speaking of that. In verse 14, it says, When the sky receded as a scroll, when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Did you hear that? Every mountain and every island moved out of its place. There is going to be a worldwide earthquake that's going to shake the entire planet. If you ask somebody from NASA, they would tell you it's because of this asteroid that's going to hit the earth one day. And what's interesting, they've done tests and they've figured out and they, they teach that when an asteroid hits the planet, it, it, a large one that shakes the planet, that it would, it would hit with such an explosive impact that the waters would be cast up into the atmosphere. And and the Bible talks about that in verse 15 here. It says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Those that are left here, they're seeing the glory of God. But look at verse 17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand it? Who's able to stand? I I, I struggle with that. Because they're seeing God. They're seeing Him in His glory. They know that the wrath of God is coming. They're wanting to hide in the caves. They, They know there's no protection, but they're trying to find protection. Then they just want the rocks to fall on them. They want to get it over with. But notice, it doesn't say anything about any of them repenting. And church, repentance is not a dirty word. (laughs) Amen? I want you to know, I repent every day. My heart is a constant heart of repentance. Why? Because I know I'm, I'm I'm flesh. I know that I don't always read the Bible as much as I should. The Bible says to know to do good and to do it not as sin. I know I, there are days that I don't read the Word enough. I know there's days I don't spend enough time in prayer. There's, no, there's days when I have a bad attitude. When I get caught going to Anchorage in a 45-minute line because somebody hit a bear. My attitude isn't the best. I love, Pastor Hagee tells on himself, he, he told a great story one time. He was late for an appointment and he pulls up to a red light and this woman's in front of him, or man, I'm not sure which. I'm not going to say the way, but um, they, they set through the light. 
And so he rolls down his window and sticks his head out and starts, what's wrong with you? You know, why the, the, you sent through the light. He, could, he was all upset, you know. He didn't say anything bad, but his attitude was wrong. And then just as soon as he, he, he gets through, he, he turns over and there's a carload of his parishioners sitting next to him. <laughs> Lord, don't let that be me. (laughs) Let's look at verse 17. It talks about a series of bowls that begin to be poured out and and it's the final judgment of God and it takes place in a short time span. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake. Such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of her fierceness of His wrath. Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. A talent is approximately 75 pounds. Think about hailstones that are 75 pounds in weight. I grew up in Texas. I know what hail is. We used to have hail the size of softballs that would literally penetrate through the roof, clean through everything into the house. I've had... Uh, Baseball-sized hail come through my windshield into my van, shatter my windshield. But I can't imagine a 75-pound hailstone. But as I referred to a moment ago, the NASA scientists say that this is exactly what would happen with with a meteorite hitting the earth, that that this water would be explosive, would be shot up into the atmosphere, and that it would freeze. And then there would be great chunks that just the gravity would bring it back to earth and that there would be massive hailstones. And that's what we see here. So this passage in Revelation speaks of horrendous things. Horrendous disaster. But there's two things that are true here. It happens when all the nations are coming. They're gathering together against the Jews in Israel. And the second thing is, it ushers in the rule of Jesus Christ. If you think about that, so many times we think about the destruction that's coming, but we forget about immediately that's ushering in Jesus. He's here. His presence. His power. His glory. His peace is going to rule this world. And the saints are coming with Him. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. In Matthew 28 and 19, I'm going to ask you this. Everybody remember that? Matthew 28 and 19. Church, if we have the heart of Jesus, we're going to have a heart for people. We're going to forget about our pride. We're going to forget about being rejected. We're going to forget about being called names or ridiculed. And we're going to stand up for Jesus Christ. Because, church, we don't want anyone to go through this. But there are going to be people that don't know the Lord. 
that have never made a commitment, never asked God to forgive them of their sins. Church, every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has committed sins. The Bible says if you've broken one commandment, you're guilty of them all. It says our righteousness is as filthy rags. But church, when you come to Jesus with your sin, you say, Lord, I acknowledge I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. But I want You in my life. I want You to cleanse me. Lord Jesus, I want You to come into my life and help me to be the man of God or the woman of God that You want me to be. God comes into our life and He transforms our lives and He enables us, church, to live a life for Him. And then if our flesh does take hold and we make a mistake, we have that heart always, Lord, I messed up. Lord, I don't want to do that again. Lord, empower me, strengthen me, help me to live for You. Cleanse me afresh. And guess what? Our Lord meets us there. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. One of my favorite words in the New Testament has to do with justified. Justified. You've heard me tell it many a time. Because in the original language, that word means that our judge in heaven has taken the gavel and slammed down the gavel and said that we're innocent as if we had never, ever sinned. (laughs) That's what Jesus does for us. Church, I just want to challenge you. If you don't know Christ, if you're lukewarm today, and you know you are, if if you're living a lukewarm, passive life for Christ, you know. I pray all the time, Lord, give me fresh fire. <laughs> Lord, I want more of Jesus. I want you to recommit your life to the Lord today. And I want you to say, Lord, use me. The talents that you've given me. That I can touch as many people for Christ that they won't have to go through these last days things. Amen. Will you stand with me?